Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. This podcast is one small part of a larger platform I've created dedicated to offering reflections on Islam, life, and mindfulness. I encourage you to visit makingsenseofislam.com to find a wide selection of articles, videos, other podcast episodes, and most importantly courses designed to distill the complexities of Islam's intellectual heritage into usable and practical tactics and strategies for day-to-day life. I'm also active on Making Sense of Islam social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, where you will learn about what's new and what's in the works. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. Sidi Haroon, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tariq. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you, always. It's good to see you. Uh, keeping well, alhamdulillah, in Istanbul. How are things in Istanbul? Beautiful. Uh, it's it's uh, The weather is changing, obviously. Like oh, About seven or eight days ago, I was swimming, and now it's raining and cooling down and uh, cloudy and all of that. So summer's over. Uh, and yeah. we're, you know, so it's it's beautiful. I love being where I am. Is right on the sea, so that's my view. Is the is the Sea of Marmara? So, so hopefully, post uh, post COVID, we can come out and visit you. Hopefully oh, you you. I'm waiting. I, I can't wait. Come. <clears throat> so I always struggle with what's the best first question to ask. So because of you and our relationship, which is, you know, I think our relationship might have might even be you know more than 20 years now um, yeah i think so i think it's about that yeah. it's always like where do you start so this is where i want to start uh, one of the and i don't know if you actually know this but one of the things i learned the most from you and one of the things that you influenced me with the most is your love of reading mm-hmm. and uh, early on uh, i remember you were you were in in this phase when you were reading this british author peter Ackroyd. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And, and you got me onto him and and his biography of Shakespeare and his uh, biography of London and so I actually started picking up those books and it was actually reading those books that re- reignited my love of reading especially non-islamic things and then that segued into you know uh, reconnecting with literature. So I wanted to ask you about reading and and why that's important to you, why that's been an important part of your life your reading habit, the type of things that you like to read, because it's very exhaustive reading academic things and scholarly things, I find. And yeah. reading, you know, literature, sometimes it's just pure enjoyment. So I, I thought we would begin with that, uh, because that's one of the things that I've gained from you the most, and your thoughts on reading and, and, and literature. Well, I don't have any coherent thoughts on reading or literature. I always loved reading when I was young. And uh, I... Uh, um, I, I, I always read, even as a young boy, um, I, I would read myself to sleep. Funnily enough, though, these days, the only things I read, I, well, that's not true completely, but I, I don't do much leisure reading. That's, most of my reading is, is scholarly texts and uh, not necessarily academic, but uh, texts on tasawuf and, and uh, just because I feel like I need to catch up with a lot of reading, we have a vast literature. But um, I, I, the, I think what 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 is important is that in 
older traditional societies, you had an oral tradition of, of uh, sharing knowledge and, and storytelling and all of that. It was, it was an oral, so people were possibly illiterate, but they were highly educated you know, mm. in a way. We don't have that anymore. <clears throat> There's no oral tradition. So the only way you can get any knowledge of anything is by reading. Of course, people could say, well, I can, I can uh, scroll through Netflix or something and find a documentary on something, but that's not the same thing. And all is, if you don't read, you lose the knack for reading. I think this is one of the, the eye t crosses the page, the mind transfers lettering and, and, and words and sentences into meaning. Mm. And if you don't practice it, it's like a musical instrument, practicing a musical or practicing a sport, you, you're the, your muscles and your, your, your physiological self uh, can't process. It becomes hard to do it. You get out of practice and you, so, <clears throat> I mean, back in like 50 or 40 or 50 years ago, uh, I, I, I read somewhere that the UC Berkeley did a, did a, a, a survey of uh, undergraduates and they discovered that something like 65% of them were functionally illiterate uh, <laughs> undergraduates. Um, it meant that they could read newspapers and that sort of thing, but they really couldn't process language and so on. And language is what differentiates us from, from uh, animals. It's what, it's the, the, the crowning glory of humanity is the, our ability to speak and convey ideas and so on. So it's, it's reading is, is where you can, you can get that from. Um, um, there, were, there, were, there were times previously where people were unlettered, you know, they couldn't read or write, but they, they were hugely knowledgeable because they listened and they heard everything and they remembered things. Mm. We just don't have that anymore. Yeah, I think it was Mark Twain who said, there's no advantage of someone who doesn't read over someone who can't read. Right. So right. Exactly. Yeah. So in a sense, it's it, so you. What the reason I began with that is that I, when I met you, I, I was sort of at a time where I was getting exhausted with the kind of things that I was reading. You know, very scholarly and technical. Uh, I mean, I of course enjoy the Islamic scholarly tradition. I mean, I've dedicated my life to it, but it gets dry at times. And and by opening uh, you know my eyes to uh, literature and uh, and and you know words and and works that are well written. Uh, right. I, I sort of re-engage what you're trying to highlight now, which is you know the beauty of, of language and the importance of communication. Well, I think also what's very important is is storytelling itself. I mean, this is what uh, in in a way what you're what you're talking about is you know academic writing is 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 devoid largely of storytelling and in fact i think probably if you submitted a a, a doctoral thesis with a lot of stories in it you would probably fail or you know <laughs> not get a pass but that's how we learn is through stories and there's a story to deep in islam there's a deep deep storytelling tradition um and we learn through storytelling so a lot of, you know, lit, I mean, what literature is if effectively is storytelling, even nonfiction, nonfiction. It's, 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 it's the way that you relate stories. 
And what I've been doing for the last sort of decade or so is telling stories, you know, is, is trying to reintroduce that dimension to um, popular, or so I'm not sure how popular it is, but, you know, the, the, to um, general literature of, of Muslims in the West, English language, uh, because we we've lost this, and even even in the Arab world, um, this the this, the, the um, tradition of tabakat of of you know the the, the biographies of the Aulia and uh, Salihin um, kind of uh, fizzled out in the in the 19th century. There were less and less of these these stories about we have we have far less information about people in the 19th century and early 20th century than we do of, of for of the aulia in the middle ages for example and because it's just a it's a tradition that was kind of uh, declined and disappeared uh, part of part of communication uh, is are the performing arts and i know early on in your life uh, before uh, you came to Islam, I know that acting was a major part of your life. Yeah, it was, it was the only thing I wanted to do. I thought, you know, that that I was a I was a, a performer, so I was I was in the theater, and I and I also sang. I, I was, you know, I was uh, a, a rather well talented singer at that time. So I I I wanted to be in the theater and. I thought I was going to be, that's what I was going to do the rest of my life, but it didn't work out that way. <clears throat> but one of the, one of the stories you told me, uh, we'll skip the Jack Nicholson story, but, but one of the stories you did tell me that I remember <laughs> is that, or unless you want to talk about Jack Nicholson. No, I don't. I don't. Oh, okay, we'll skip that story. But one of the th things you told me is that when you encountered Islam, specifically Tasawwuf, and and you were you encountered this concept of dhikr, of dhikrullah. You said as an actor, I understood exactly what that meant because the process of acting is to memorize the lines and to keep repeating the lines until you become that character, you become that line. And that that really stuck with me because I not not at your level, but a very small part of my life when I was in high school, I was a thespian as well. And I used to sing and, you know, participate in school music. I actually played Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof. I, 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 I can see that. <laughs> There's a video somewhere in my parents' house of that. But so when you said that, I, that was one of the, the greatest insights for me. I, I really want you to share that insight about how, you know, this idea of acting and, and trying to become the character, how it relates to the concept of Dick. Of course, Dick being at a totally different level. Well, uh... I wrote about that in in the last book I published called Hearts Turn. Yeah, there's a whole chapter that that's dead. Okay, there you go. That's dedicated to to that that idea. But basically, um, what I discovered was this idea of repetition. Um, I I, bec I became ambivalent about the theater um, because. Uh, the characters you play uh, or that you write about or you play are, are highly conflicted and very and always flawed. I mean, you can't, you, if you, it would be very boring to have a, a play about saints because they're, you know, they're, 
Well, I mean, not necessarily, but you'd have to focus on the conflict and the struggle and that sort of thing, uh, because most characters are very flawed. And I always, you know, for example, I wanted to, I always want, aspired to play Iago in Othello uh, and Macbeth. And these are really, really dark characters. They're great characters, but they're very dark. And you have to contemplate that. You have to mm. think about hatred and, and jealousy and, and uh, anger and rage and, and lust. And you have to wallow in those, in those emotions. And uh, I became troubled by that. I, th I, 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 didn't, I could see that, it, oh, okay, you don't suffer the consequences of being a murderer or um, you know, being a, 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 I don't know, a, a wife beater or something like that, but you, you, you invoke those emotions so it has an effect on the heart. And I went through a period where I was really struggling with that. Mm. And when I came upon uh, Tasawwuf, Sufism, uh, because I, I entered Islam th in, through that door, through the door of Tasawwuf. Uh, I didn't know anything about Islam. When I actually became Muslim, I, I, I knew almost nothing. I knew the Shahada, that was it. And I didn't even know the second part of the Shahada. I didn't know what that meant at all, what mm -hmm. the, you know. Uh, but what I did know is, is that I, I latched on this, uh, to this idea of dhikr because I, re I recognized uh, when you're an actor, uh, if you're a good actor, if you're talented, I, I, I'm not sure it happens with everyone, but every once in a while you'll, you'll rehearse a character, you'll do something over and over and over again, and you'll struggle with it, and you just don't have it. And the director sees it, and the other cast members see it, and you feel it, you're just not, you, you're not the character, you haven't, you haven't nailed it, right? And... So you rehearse and you do something over and over and over and over again. And there's one moment, and it's, it's why actors, I believe it's the secret of why so many actors stay with a business that's really a very difficult business. You know, you think of the famous actors who are rich and all that and celebrities and so on, but they're the tiny, tiny minority of people working in the business. Uh, anyway, so so they, they stay with this, and I th I think one of the reasons that they do this is that is that there's a moment when you nail a you become the character, you struggle, you you do it over and over again, and the, suddenly you occupy that character, you enter it, you become it, mm. and you you know it, and everybody can see it, but you're doing you look the same, you're you're doing the same blocking, you're doing, you know, the same movement, you're, you're doing, everything's the same, but it's diff completely different because you are the character. Mm. And this happens not only in the theater, it happens with musicians, it happens with painters, it happens with, uh, in the arts, there's a certain thing where you, you just, you just nail it, you get it. And I understood this, and I understood that it affected the, 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 the being, the inner being. And, and you, you had great directors and, and uh, 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 theater people who understood this as well. Uh, Stanislavski, who was the great Russian theater director, 
um, used to make his actors meditate on their characters before they slept so that the qualities of the character would sink in during their sleep. So he, they, he, they, there's a recognition of an inner reality to what, what, what you're doing. Uh, but of course, what you're, what you're invoking in, in, the, in the theater is something dark, usually dark, troublesome, even the heroes are troubled, uh, confused, what, whatever it is, uh, <clears throat> revengeful, all of these things. And I just, I, I, I got very worried. I, I didn't like to do that. So when I discovered uh, Vicar, I, I immediately understood that, 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 how that worked. So that's what sort of drew me into Islam. Uh, and I think one of the things that we have to remember about coming to Islam and as a born Muslim coming back into Islam in a serious way is that we're all born into a, 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 an atheist world. I mean, the sensibility that we are born into is, a, is, a, is an atheist sen sensibility. I think the 20th century was the first atheist century in history where you had two major countries becoming officially atheist states. This had never happened before. And this was predicted by Nietzsche, as, as a matter of fact, you know, that this would happen in the 20th century, you know, with his statement, God is dead. Mm. Um, so we're, we, we're the heirs of this, and we've been raised in, in a kind of a, 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 a godless environment, and it's worse and it's worse and worse, worse than ever now, because it's now fashionable to be an atheist. What I've been told is that in, in several Muslim countries, atheism is on the rise. In countries you wouldn't even suspect that to be possible. Sure. Um, and so when you come to Islam, you have to come, you, you don't come through a, the, um, a theistic frame of reference, because we don't have that. 200 years ago, God was, you know, the idea that you know, the idea that there wasn't a God would have been considered, I don't know, a mental illness or something, or, and that it was just a given that God existed. You could be a sinner, you could be, a, you know, a, a, someone who's, who has spiritual doubts and troubles and so on, but the idea that God doesn't exist was a very rare uh, occurrence. So this is recent. And we, so, so the, the point is like for me, when I was uh, a young performer, actor, that was kind of a religion, you know. Um, theater for me was like a religion. And it's very interesting. Last year I attended a performance of um, a play by Peter Brook, Hmm. who was an iconic uh, theater director who has also flirted with Hinduism and is Sufism and Islam and uh, uh, over his year, I mean, over the years, he's, was, he's over 90 now. And he wrote, he wrote a play that was performed in New York when I was there. And I was struck by the play, I was disturbed by the play because I realized that for, he, for him, the theater had become his religion. That was, it, so it was like watching a strange religious ritual 
um, that really didn't refer to God or anything. It was just, it, it was worshiping itself. It was a very strange experience for me. I didn't find it pleasant at all, even though it was brilliant. I mean, he directed the play and it was well done. So, um, so we, we coming to Islam, uh, we have to come through something, you know, in, in Hart's Turn, for example, I mean, people, uh, uh, the people that I, I interviewed and wrote chapters on had had a wide range of experiences that they, they, they came to Islam or back to Islam through all kinds of secular, you know, profane. Sure. I mean, to, to reach the sacred, we have to sort of traverse profanity. I mean, one of the quotes that's, that's, that sits with me is um, Abdullah Schleifer saying, I was a profane person living a profane life, but that's, that's where I was, but God found me nonetheless. That's right. God finds you where, where you are. And one of the things that I wanted to show Muslims, because Muslims come, I mean, over the years, I've met many people, they, they've sinned and they think that they're doomed or something. I mean, it's, it's seriously, I mean, I've had people come, young men, uh, not so many young women, because they wouldn't confide in me necessarily, but young men would come and say, I've done this and I've done that. I mean, one guy came to me and he sat at my feet and he said, oh, you know, and he was a very nice, nice very lovely guy. He said, you know, when I was in high school, you know, I." I was went with girls. I I didn't do anything, you know. I didn't go all the way, but I did this and that and the other thing. <laughs> I said, "Oh, how old are you?" He said, "I'm 35." I said, "You you've been latching, hanging on to this thing you did in high school for all this time." He said, "Forget it. I've done much worse than you've done." Yeah, you it's know? like it's like a Catholic guilt that sort of seeps its way in in the right. modern Muslim mind. I get I get that a lot too. You know, I'm doomed. I did this wrong. Yeah, they've, and, and because people don't have a theistic frame of reference any, any longer, everything. And one of the, I mean, uh, my hometown is Santa Barbara in California. And, uh, you know, anyone who's been there can, knows that it's a very benign place. It's, it's a place where if you're really, if you've made it in life, that's where you want to end up. You know, it's very beautiful and so on, peaceful. Everybody's miserable there. <laughs> you know, and I, I, my daughter's was there and I saw a young lady who was working with her. And I said, she seems very nice. And my daughter said, she's, she's miserable. And I said, why? She, you know, she seems intelligent. She said, she said, I don't know, Baba. Everybody here is miserable. They're all miserable. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I know why, because we're now living in a, a, a world that is absolutely, completely externalized. People don't have an inner life. They have no inward life whatsoever. So see, and, when, when did you first uh, be in, when, when were you first introduced to Tasawwuf? Was this in the, in the 60s? Uh, no, in the, in the, in the, in the, the probably about 1970. Um, 70. Okay, early 70s. Um, I was, um, as I said, I was a young actor, but I was already becoming very disillusioned with, I, I, I really disliked show business. Hmm. And I, it was a shock to me because I, I thought I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna be rich and famous and, you know, ride around in a limousine or whatever, you know. Um, and 
I got into the business and I really disliked just about everything about it, the business, not the creative part. And I realized also that the creative part is a very tiny aspect of something that's much more sort of frustrating and Mm. disappointing and so on. And uh, my cousin, Allah God rest his soul, um, was an omnivorous reader. He, he, was, he was in the book business and he just read everything indis- almost indiscriminately. Mm. <clears throat> and uh, he, came upon, he came across Sufi, some Sufi writing, and he said, you should look at this. This is really wild, you know. <laughs> so I was, and I was becoming in- kind of interested. It was the, the, that period was a time when there was an interest in Eastern religion and so on and mysticism and that sort of thing. So, um, so I, I read a couple of books and I, I became absolutely fascinated with this idea of dhikr. That's what I, I picked up on immediately, the idea of repetition. And you, you take a, a name, like a sacred name, and it settles into the heart and so on. And I, I, I got it immediately. And that's what, you know, kept me. And then I kind of joined up. I went to visit, uh, I went to a summer camp that was supposed to be a Sufi summer camp. It was really, had nothing to do with Sufism at all. And I write about this in, in Tahart's Turn. Uh, uh, and it was, it was, it was, I liked it because there were all these beautiful women and, you know, I mean, for all the wrong reasons, in other words. Uh, but what I what I took away from me was that the leader, uh, you know, who was presiding over everything, gave a talk on La ilaha illallah, hmm. and that blew my mind. I mean, I don't know why, but hmm. I I be, from that point, that was it, you know. And I didn't know anything else. And he didn't talk about Muhammad and Rasulullah. He didn't mention that at all. But it, it was I just I, I, I thought. This encompasses everything. La ilaha illallah. You know, there, there's only Allah. I, anyway, it made complete sense to me. And before that, actually, I was in a theater group. Uh, and we were doing a play uh, by Jean Genet called The Screens, which is a nine-hour play on the Algerian War. And the director get, distributed, he would distribute all kinds of literature, like Sartre, Genet, mm. uh, uh, Franz Fanon, you know, the different sort of left-wing writings. But one day he distributed uh, passages from the Quran. Mm. And, I re- I, I, and I remember it was the Arbery translation. And I, I would stop me in my tracks because I thought I didn't understand any of it. But I thought, this is the way people, this is the way we think in sort of waves and, you know, of thought. And because written. the Quran is not linear. It's sort of like each word. It goes from here to there. And I thought, whoa, whoa, what is this? You know, so mm. I was very interested in, in that. And then later on, he, he distributed passages from the Conference of the Birds uh, mm. by Attar. Okay. And again, that it hit me. So it was all these things kind of hitting me. Uh, so by the end of the, the term, um, and I, again, I, I, I tell this better in Hart's turn, 
but I, I was cast as in, in a Shakespearean play. And one of the roles I was playing was the fool, <coughs> Festy. And they had this weird British director who had this, uh, and he cast me in two roles. One is Sebastian, who's the twin brother of Viola and uh, Festy. But then what he said is, they're the same person. <laughs> what? That's an insane idea. It has absolutely, there's nothing in the text that justifies it at all. But, you know, I thought, well, let me see what I can do about that. And I came across a book by an Oxford scholar on the fool. So I read this book and she gets into the origins of the fool were traced back to the, um, to the to the court jester of Timur of Timur of Tamburlaine, hmm. who was called Bahlul, and uh, anyway, so I read all this and I, and 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 they compared the court jester to like a what we would call a mujdu, hmm. someone who was like a holy madman, uh, so so who was ecstatic, who was allowed to say things to the the sultan or the the, the ruler that no one else could say uh, because the, he was considered to be crazy. So mm. no one took him seriously. Anyway, so I, I picked up on that and tried um, probably unsuccessfully to, to combine these two characters as this, this mystical figure. And anyway, by that time I was, was completely hooked on Sufism. I, you know, and mm. started, and then I went to this, this camp and, Anyway, I tell this story in Hart's turn probably much better than I would. Mm -hmm. so I know that, that you know, a, a North African, you know, like Moroccan type of tasawwuf has been a part of your life ever since that moment forward. Uh, some people uh, that sort of have a, you know, same age group or, or maybe even younger, some people, they kind of fall in love with tasawwuf and then like they fall out of love with the soul because they have like a bad experience or they meet like with the fake sheikh or you know the, the you yeah. know, cult experience but it seems that despite even though i know you've encountered some of that it seems that alhamdulillah that's the self has always really been like your anchor is that fair to say yeah but i think uh, um I, I was just looking at a at a talk that was given by uh hakim murad uh, dr tim winter uh, on orthodoxy in Islam, what, what is orthodox Islam? And one of the things that he makes very clear from the, from the, from the, the classical texts is that you cannot be a Sunni Muslim without also being part of a, a, a Sufi uh, tradition of one of sort or another. And, and, he, and, he, and he makes, a, there's, it's a great talk that you can find on YouTube, as a matter of fact. Um, and because Islam is, as we know, is the, it's, it's, it's divided into three dimensions, Islam, Iman, and Ihsan. And the, the, the methodology to reach the state of Ihsan or excellence is through the Sufi tradition, through the tradition of Tasawwuf, and always has been and always will be. And so it, it's, it's intrinsic to Islam. and. Uh, I think this is one of the things that, that has been lost. And there are, there are historical reasons for this, which are probably too 
complicated to get into in any detail, but the, uh, the, this uh, Sufism is, is now seen as separate from Islam, as if it's some kind of an elective thing that you can do, or a, you know, like a, a, a fashion or something like that. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, um, even in English, we refer to it as an ism, you know, Sufism, as if it's like something. Yeah, like and in fact, it's, that's that's not a, the, pro, the the proper name for for this is tasawuf, and uh, so uh, yes, I mean, I, I it's and you know, I uh, th there's a lot of problem nowadays with people claiming to be, especially now with the internet, where you have all these sort of touring celebrity uh, <laughs> gurus, sheikhs, you know, and some of them are probably authentic, but it's, it, it's, it, it, it's confusing. People are very confused. Uh, in fact, I'm working on, on a book now. I'm, I'm not sure when I'll be able to finish because I've, I've got a, some other things in the way of it, but on this subject, on spiritual authority, and also getting getting to the point of re of, of entering uh, a spiritual path. I mean, how do you even get there? You know, people misunderstand. And you know, I I brought this up to Muli Hashem Belghiti, who's a, a my my sheikh in in Morocco at the, at, at the moment. Uh, Allah protect him. Uh, and I said, what about this? And he said, this is an old story. <laughs> I mean, we, we've had, the, and this is the people become traumatized by the, yes, there are always going to be people of false claims. There's mm. always going to be somebody like that. Mm. We've had this since the time of Musaylima, you know, in, yeah. in, in, in the, in the, with the first community. I mean, you had false prophets, you had people of claims and uh, people, you, you, there, one of the Shuyuk actually even said that if you want to follow the spiritual path, you have to first follow the liars from among its people, which mm -hmm. is a very strange statement. And I asked one of my Shuyuk, one of my teachers, said Omar Abdullah, I said, what does that mean? That's a very strange thing. And he said, it means that you're following the path for Allah only, mm -hmm. not for a person. So you have to go through that. So it's not... Um, and this, you know, there's a lot of trauma that people have gone through uh, recently. I mean, I've heard about. And my feeling is that you know, it's getting involved with someone who's off, who's off the path is not necessarily a bad thing unless you compromise yourself. Mm. So how do, you, how do you protect yourself from that? You protect yourself by following the Sharia. And so before you set out on, and try to have some sort of spiritual experience, you need to understand the fundamentals of the Sharia. And if you're, if you're instructed or if you see to, to violate the Sharia, or if you see the man who has supposedly has spiritual authority violating the Sharia, all you do is walk away. You don't have, you know, and you learn something. It's not Actually, true. you reminded me earlier on on the podcast. I interviewed this group called In Sheikh's Clothing, and they are like a support group uh, for people who have been traumatized. And I've been thinking about this ever since. I really hope you write this book soon, and I'd love to to help you. <laughs> because one of the pray problems, for me. Just, what? Yeah. Pray for me. I mean, I 
I don't, I don't have yeah, to. Yeah, Rob, yeah, Rob. <laughs> one, of, one of the problems, you know, CD, is that people, they use the abuse uh, examples to sort of, you know, poo-poo like the whole thing. Like, oh, you know, this, this whole thing is fake. And that's very, very dangerous. As we know, that's, as you said, that this is Islam. I mean, this is, that's not like an addendum to or an appendix to, or this is Islam. You know, this is how Muslims have been connected to the Quran and Sunnah since the first century till now. And inshallah, moving forward. So I think it's very important, even though I, I understand what the Sheikh is saying, it's an old story. But in the West, I think, you know, with the cancel story, pardon? it's a new story. It's a new story. Yeah, exactly. It's a new story. It's a new story. So about, about the Sheikh, is it correct that he is one of the only people left alive who actually met Sheikh Muhammad ibn Habib? Uh, there are other people. No, there are, there are others. Uh, but it's, it must be a very small group of people. Yeah, they're, they're, we were the kids, you know, when we started. <laughs> I'm an old guy, you know, so you can, t you know, draw your own conclusions. But there are a few people around uh, who, who met Sheikh, Sheikh Mohammed ibn Habib. But I, again, I think it's important to realize that the shayukh, they don't do anything for you. I mean, what they do, but they don't, they don't, what, what happens under their guidance is not from them, it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They just facilitate that for you. They facilitate it. And, uh, and you know, like Muli Hashim said, that the Sheikh is like, with a, with a murid is like, when he, the murid is like a novice, he's like a baby. So all the Sheikh does is he protects him, tells him, don't run out in the street, don't do this, or, or, you know. Or don't just, touch the hot stove, yeah. You know, just exact, exact noise, it's exactly that thing. He said, and then when the, the murid is ready, then he just turns him, you know. It's just a, an adjustment, mm. And, mm. and everything can happen. So it's... And Sheikh Mohammed Jilani, who's a wonderful, wonderful, okay. wonderful man. Beautiful soul. <clears throat> he said, that, you know, the, the Sheikh, the Sheikh is, is, stays out of the way. Between, he's, he doesn't come between the seeker and the sought and Allah. And, uh, he stays out of the way. He just helps the, the person along. Yeah. And anyone who stands in the way is a fraud. I mean, is is you walk away from them? Yeah. And the sheikh is not calling to himself; right? he's calling to Allah. So he's, you know, that's yeah, what and, and, and there, there's a there's a there's a, uh, a a vast amount of literature on how you recognize uh, a, a real sheikh. Uh, uh, and, and one of the, the great pieces of writing is from uh, Sheikh Ahmed Zarouk. Uh, and there's a translation of it by uh, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, which is excellent. Yeah. And um, he, he, he tells you, this is what you have to look for. And this is also what you look for in someone who's not mm. qualified to be a Sheikh. And it's very, it's very straightforward. It's, you, you have, people don't use their discrimination. They think, oh, I don't know anything, you know. Well, well that, that's, that's, that's not true. And uh, you, you know... If the sheikh doesn't pray, walk away. I mean, there's a great story of Abu Yazid al-Bistami. He said, I heard uh, that there was a, a great wali in a, in a town. So I went there to see him. And he, I went into the mosque. And, the, and this man walked out of the, his chamber toward me. And he spat on the mosque floor. 
And I turned around and I didn't even greet him because I knew Allah would not allow one of his awliya to do that, you know, to spit on the floor. And he, he said he just walked, he didn't even greet him. He just turned around and walked away. And you know, and there's the story of Imam Bukhari, who apparently walked hundreds and hundreds of miles to, to find a hadith uh, from a narrator. He went and he, he went to the village. He said, where is so-and-so? And they pointed at a man who was beating his donkey. And he took one look. He turned around. And one left. He didn't even bother. And people, they don't use their intelligence. And so this is where trauma comes in. If you, mm. if you see something that's wrong, okay, it's disappointing, but you learn something. But if you do something that, the, that, that you know is wrong because some guy told you to do it or, or some girl, lady uh, told you to do it and you knew it was wrong, well, shame on you. You know, you, you, should, you should know better, you know. And if, if you don't know even the basis of, of the Sharia, then you shouldn't be worried too much about, uh, 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 about following some spiritual path. You, you know, there are certain foundations that you have to have before you set out on, on something like that. So I, know, I know from, you know, spending time with you, like in that decade of the 70s, you know, you saw a lot of crazy stuff. You saw people come into Islam, leave Islam. Yeah. What... Yeah. what for you personally, just on a personal level, I mean, other than you know Allah's guidance and, and mercy, what would you attribute you not losing it, you know, losing your cool when you when you when you encountered you know charlatans or you encountered weird stuff? What was how did you protect yourself, or or, or, or what was the self talk that you had, or the principles that you held that helped you sort of stay the course and be like, no, I'm still you know I'm still with this. Well, I wasn't I wasn't in it for for the people, you know, for uh, for some person. I didn't come into it because of a person, but because I, I knew it was true. And everything that I, I studied, it was true. And also, uh, I was lucky in that my earliest experiences uh, in Islam were um, with awliya, with really great, great awliya. And I had something to compare things to. Okay. So when um, when uh, there were, I saw misbehavior or something like I, I could I could recognize when someone was sort of off. Mm. Uh, I mean, I have some I have some weird stories, you know, about that which I won't go into now. But I mean, um, so that was I was in, and also I was I'm not a scholar and I'm not very scholarly. I'm I, I, I'm a reader and I like I like to learn but I, I'm not disciplined in that way. <clears throat> but um, I like learning. And what I found is that the people who left Islam in my generation and my sort of um, among my contemporaries that I knew were generally people who weren't really very attached to the pursuit of knowledge. Mm. You know, I mean, they were in, interested in, they were, they were attached to the experience, you know, uh, like Hadra or something like that. Um, but I, I was more interested, and everybody that I know that's held to it and honed to that are people that, you know, were deeply attached to 
getting knowledge mm. themselves. Um, so related to that, and by the way, I, I do want you know to mention that a lot of these stories are in, in the first book. Um, uh, and uh, I'll make sure that I link both your first book and second book uh, in the show notes, so episode notes, so people can purchase them. So you you had a lot of experience with real mashaykh, awliya, etc., which also means that you spent a lot of time in the Muslim world in those decades, you know, 70s, 80s, and you know, even up until yeah. recently. So one of the things I'd love to get your your feedback on is how do you compare the Muslim world? that you encountered first, like in the 70s and 80s to, to now? Well, when I entered Islam uh, in the West, and you have to, we have to, I have to sort of be clear that uh, my experience was one entirely of an ignorant Westerner who stumbled into Islam in a, in a certain way in, in America. So I didn't know anything about the Muslim world. I, 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 I wasn't really aware of what was going on in the Muslim world or anything, or, or was I interested in any of the politics or anything like that. But in, in the West, Islam was an unknown quantity. It was unknown. So if people had a prejudice against it, it was a prejudice against the unknown, not against what they thought they knew. Uh, and so there was no um, negative image of Islam, really, other than maybe you know, you know, the a belly dancer or the Arabian night, you know, some you know something like that. Yeah. Casablanca, uh, and, huh? Casablanca, the movie. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess, but you know, then just I mean, so stereotypical. We, we used to have a. a, 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 a hypothetical club called the Blue Parrot Club. And the mm. Blue Parrot Club was, if you've, anyone who's seen Casablanca, there's Humphrey Bogart's club, Rick's place. And then there's Sydney Greenstreet's CD Arab club uh, <laughs> called the Blue Parrot. And anyone who would rather be in the Blue Parrot Club than Rick's place belonged to the Blue Parrot Club, you yes. know. <laughs> so, it, and, you know, it was, it, the, the, there, was, there was that side of it, but... Um, People really didn't know anything other than uh, other than the sort of the stereotype and 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 a lot of you know the, the, there was a lot of complaint about prejudices against uh, against Muslims in movies and television and so on and there really if you go back into the history of cinema there there were stereotypes but they weren't necessarily um, they weren't necessarily negative. I mean, like Rudolph Valentino played the Sheikh. He was like the matinee idol of matinee idols back in the silent era, you know? Mm. And uh, so it was, it was um, you know, a different kind. It wasn't the, the kind of stereotype we have now, which is very disturbing. And that all started, I mean, that started to change in probably in 1975 with the oil crisis. Um, when you know the price of oil went up and people resented the Arabs, but it still it was an Arab thing. It wasn't really Islamic. Mm. And it wasn't until 1979 that things started to really turn with the Iranian hostage crisis. Mm. And then it was very ugly. Then suddenly there was this Islamic thing that was really, really ugly, nasty. And and then things moved from there. And you know. You think, you know, the Prophet, alayhi salatu said, have sabr, 
because you will not come to a time bef- uh, come to a time that isn't worse than the time before it until you meet your Lord. And, you know, with the hostage crisis, I thought, well, it can't get any worse than this. This is just terrible. <laughs> Guess what? It got worse. That was like small potatoes uh, compared to what was coming down the pipe. It just keep on coming. It just keeps getting worse and worse yeah. and worse. But within that, and it's very, I, um, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf called me uh, last year out of the blue. Um, I think I was in Australia or something. And, you know, he was saying, oh, the world is really going down, you know, it's going, it's going to hell, it's really terrible. And then there was this pause, and he said, but I'm doing all right. <laughs> and I said, me too. <laughs> I'm and then I realized that, like, almost everybody I know is doing all right. I and mean, most of us are, doing, because Allah is generous, just because things are going downhill, and it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. We're living... We're, we're Allah is taking care of us, even within that, you know, dystopian nightmare that we're, we're watching. Well, what I meant by my question is, I remember when I was a young boy and we would go to Egypt for like a holiday uh, and it was a Friday, my father would take us to like Sayyidina Nafisa for Jummah. Right. You know, uh, it, it would it would have been I, I would I never remember anyone ever saying, oh, you know, how can you go pray in a mosque where there's a grave or something like that? But like as I got older, like you start hearing from like friends yeah. and family, things like that. And I didn't grow up in Egypt as a, as a as a boy, but I you know I certainly frequented since I was I, mean, I was born there and, I, you know, I go almost every year. So I feel that there's like a weird, you know, discourse that emerged somewhere that started to permeate and it became like the default, like the well, haram halal thing. Right. I, I think that the best description of that is in a book called The Great Theft by Dr. Khaled Abu Fadl. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a wonderful book. I, I, I disagree with some of his, his uh, conclusions. Um, uh, he doesn't seem to be able to deal with tasawwuf at all. And he yeah, calls he, he, South, he, uh, Sufism an orientation, which is, uh, I think, absurd. But his description of uh, what has happened in the Muslim world um, is is very in- insightful and very and very well presented. And uh, it's worth anyone to read that book. I think just just to get a get a handle on it. But I mean, really, really, what happened was that. Um, there was a huge amount invested by uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to spread uh, their doctrine, their official doctrine. And it was a, a massive expenditures in schools in, in mosques. In, and, I, and I think on the one, uh, you know, I think initially, I don't think it was, in, it was considered to be insidious or anything. I mean, we were when when I came to Saudi Arabia. This idea, you know, the, this idea that, that that there was a separation, there were there was a division, wasn't so pronounced as it is now. You know, it was it, you know. So if you were a Wahhabi, that more power to you. You know, as long as you were praying and so on. But it it became more and more and more, and it was it was it, it kind of metastasized into into you know extremist doctrine and so on 
And, you know, I came to Saudi Arabia in, uh, in 1980, immediately, immediately after the um, uprising in, the, in uh, the siege of Naharam. And that was the first um, uh, explosion of, of, of extremists. I mean, there were extremist um, sects in Egypt and so on. But anyway, that's... The, so do you, do you think that that stuff today is a barrier for young people to sort of find their connection with Islam? Yeah, because they've been raised uh, on this thing and they've, they've been, the seeds of doubt have been sown in their hearts. They go, oh, it's haram, you know, like yeah. Sufism is haram or this is haram. This is a, a fairly new thing. I mean... In the 70s, what we found is like the Muslim students who would come and study in America and England and places like that, they would voraciously read uh, books by Sayyid Qutb, you know, uh, much more than any sort of Wahhabi th thing that was going, going on. Uh, and that was, I mean, that was bad enough. Um, but the, 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 so, so because they weren't allowed to read these texts in their home countries, they were banned. So they'd read milestones and all these different kinds of, um, which I wasn't, you know, or uh, Ali Shariati and so on. And these were more political, Maududi, Sayyid Qutb, they were politi politicized, they, they had politicized Islam. Um, and, uh, you know, it's all, I mean, it's, 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 it's a long story. I mean, it's a it's a very long story. I think we I don't want to waste too much of your time, and I, I'm not an expert on this at all. That's why I would say it's a good idea for anyone who's really interested in how these this developed to read the Great Theft. I think it's worth reading. Although, as I said, I disagree with some of the points that he made. <laughs> well, re regarding your your writing. Uh, so, mashallah, you have these two books out, which I can't, you know, recommend enough. And I've been, you know, blessed to hear you recite from some of them, and and I always recommend them to people. Unfortunately, all of the copies I had, I, I gave out. These the, the copies I have are the copies you gave me with your, you know, with your little note. So I can't give these away, but I've, I've run out now since I've given oh, I'll them. Send all. You some. I, I'll have some. <laughs> but. I, you said in the beginning you're interested in uh, this idea of the tabaqat, you know, genre, the hagiographies of the saints and how, you know, I'm so glad you put some of these people that you write about, I was unable to meet, even though I was alive during the time, I was just too young and I didn't know about them then. So I'm so happy that I get to read your interactions with them. But other than the idea of writing about these people, what other inspirations or uh, what are or what are the catalysts for you to write now and uh you mentioned the, the project about you know potentially you know helping people in the west understand how to find a tariq and you know what tasawuf is and stuff about but do you have any other ideas anything that we should be looking for uh, to come from you inshallah in the near future well right now i'm i'm fully engaged in a, a project that is is already been funded thank goodness uh, alhamdulillah um, uh, on uh, on uh, biographies of some of our spiritual exemplars, which are included in Signs on the Horizons and also uh, Peter Sanders' book, uh, Meetings with Mountains. And this sort of evolved, this project evolved. I, it was, um, I was having a, um, 
a dinner with um, the CEO of the John Templeton Foundation uh, several years ago. And we, this was when extremism, when ISIS was on the rise and extremism was, <laughs> you know, the topic of the day. And, and, uh, and I, I said, one of the reasons why this is happening, why young people are gravitating to these extremist ideologies and so on, is that there are no role models. We don't have exemplars. And that the exemplars were uh, part of Muslim life. There were, you know, was the sheikh down the corner or the pious woman, the saintly woman who taught Quran, you know, or the, you know, the, 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 the head of the guild who was the sheikh of, 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 of Tariqa and sheikh of the, of, of the of a craft of artisans and business people and so on. They were, they were all over the place. There were, there were hundreds of these people, thousands uh, throughout the Muslim world who were the role models or the exemplars. People would know them. Even someone who wasn't religious, they would know that this person was a wise man, was, was someone, and uh, this has been lost. Yeah. So um, one of the reasons why I, I wrote Signs on the Horizons uh, was to sort of re, reintroduce these kinds of people to, um, to young people who think that they don't exist or that they can't exist, but they do, hmm. and, and they always will. Um, so... Um, Peter Sanders published, last year he published uh, uh, Meetings with Mountains, which is a book that took him 50 years to complete. Um, and he photographed many of these really, really great aulia. And he was, he's a great photographer. And it's, it's a beautiful book. But one of the th features in the book had to be removed because it was just too big and too unwieldy. And that was, there were, there were some selected biographies of some of the people that he had photographed, which, because the book itself is a, is a photographic essay with captions and not really, you know, uh, any biographical uh, background on, on the, the people that he photographed. So, so we were talking about that, and I said, "Well, let's. Why don't we spin this off? Spin some of this off into uh, bi short biographies of, of some of the most eminent of the the aulia. And I went back to the temple. To, oh, and what happened was after the the um, the, the conversation I had in the, in, with the Templeton Foundation is that I I mean I was just making table talk. You know, I was just talking. But the CEO came back and said, I'd like you to make a proposal for this. So the organization that I was working with at the time, um, I did, I, you know, I did make an initial proposal, a preliminary proposal, but they never submitted it. You know, they just never did anything with it. So it just went mm. dormant. But then after, <clears throat> after the book tour, the, where we saw you, you know, in, in Washington and uh, last year, um, we uh, decided to, to, to see if the Templeton Foundation was interested in, fu in funding this kind of project, still interested. And we made a, I made a proposal and it was accepted. And so we're, we've started up to, to do a series of biographies. And that's really what's taking all my time because it's, um, it's it, it, between 10 and 15 biographies of some of these great shayuk and um 
it's it's a it's it's a pleasure uh, to. I mean, I'm working right now on the biography of Sheikh Salih and Jaffari. Oh, mashallah! Was one of my uh, favorites. Uh, and, uh, yes, he's wonderful, and and it's a beautiful text by uh, Samar Dejani, who yeah. uh, translated Reassurance of a Seeker, um, and who was also one of his, the the disciples of uh, Sheikh Salih's son uh, Abdul Ghani, Sheikh Abdul Ghani, Allah uh, So um, so we're doing that. That's what I'm 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 involved in now. That's my focus. Um, and we, we, the, we, I think we, we're going to try to do it within one year uh, to, to turn out these books. And then there'll be kind of box sets of, of books. And this is the idea is to reintroduce these people. In, in, so that be, because it signs on the horizons, I mentioned people. I was kind of like a fly on the wall. I'd run into people. But I, I actually, like my own teacher, said Omar Abdullah, I didn't really know much about his background. So I've written th that particular um, issue for in, in, in the series. Uh, and I, I found out all kinds of things about him. And, and, I, and I circulated this to some of the, some of the other, some of my contemporaries like uh, Sheikh uh, Habib uh, Abu Bakr Bashuaib. Uh, and he said, I, I'm learning things about him that I didn't know, you know, because these people, they don't talk about themselves. You know, they don't, they don't tell, they don't tell stories about how great they were or anything like that. <laughs> Other people tell stories. And, yeah, and, yeah. and sometimes they don't, you know, because what happens between them is like, a, you know, confidential, you know. So, yeah. Well, you know, this is uh, like a way of reviving a sunnah. Because this is a sunnah of, of our tradition, is the, the tarajam, you know, the biographies of the early hadith narrators. That's where we got all this from. Is we need to know everything about these people who are taking our religion from. Right. And for exactly. us, it's more important, or it's just as important to know who's giving us our religion than what it is that they're teaching. Right. Uh, we, you know, and um, it's, it's a wonderful, I mean, for what it's worth, when I was very young, before we even met, I'm mean, still maybe you know, leaving my teenage years into my early 20s when I was in college. One of the, the, the two things that really helped me was actually being able to see the diwan of Muhammad ibn Habib, you know, and, and like learn some of those qasidas mm. and then seeing his picture. Yeah. So like, okay, it's not just like some mis mystical person that I will never, I can like, even, if, even though it's just one picture, and I've had that picture in my on my computer like forever, for decades. Right. And just being able to see him, I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know anything about Tasawwuf or the Tariq, but I knew I can, you know, hum these Qasidas right. until today. You know, even when I was preparing, you know, and I saw your name and my, you know, your email, I just started singing the Qasida, you know, just it triggered that that thing. And I think that that's what what we need, you know, certainly I want that for my kids. You know, I want them, I want that to be out there in the ether, that that's like their default Islam. Right, right. Well, Dr. Mustafa Badawi wrote the um, biography of uh, Habib Ahmed Mashur al-Haddad. And mm. at the end of it, he's, he makes a beautiful statement. He said, these are people who are now legends, but he said, don't leave it at that. Go and find someone. Go and find someone that you have that you, that you have the same experience, and uh, and uh, you know the, 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 these people still exist. They're still still out there. And one of the one of the other reasons that we 
published this, that we're publishing this series is for precisely what we were talking about before is how do you discern the real deal from the, the person of false claims or the fake or the, mm. flaw, you know, the, yeah. you know, and, and you can see this because the, what happens is you, you spend time with these people, they, they have no ego, their nafs they're, is extinguished. It's, and over a period of time, you start picking that up, you realize that, you know, you, the, the, and they have incredibly beautiful character and, the, and it's abiding. It's not like they're good one day and they're, they have a bad day. <laughs> and break all the crockery or something like that no they're they're like that all the time because the ego is extinguished they, they they're funny they're gone and it it translates into into purely beautiful character and that's what we that's the main i mean the 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 the, the, the overall title of the project is the luminous virtues of the sages of islam because they have their they that's what they have they have luminous virtues they have beautiful beautiful behavior and character and you can tell and if someone has bad behavior like uh, abu yazid al-bistami you just turn around walk away you know get away from it so you learn so it's to help people also discriminate these people are the right are the people you know the, and they're you see them and they're all they're different but they're all fundamentally the same as well. They're just, they're, they're just, it's like, for example, I don't know if you've ever heard of Sufi Abdullah Khan Saab. Yes. He's, yeah, Sufi Abdullah. In England. Uh, yes, I, and we're working on, 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 on a biography of, of his, his life. And, you know, he was just like the rest of the, all he did was serve people. That's all he did was, was teach Quran, recite Quran, uh, he just he just helped people. That's mm. all he did. He spent his entire life, and then when he was, and he earned his living. They, and that's the other thing. So all these people, they're they're wage earners. They they, you know, Habib Ahmed Mashur al Haddad was a was a merchant. His sheikh uh, Habib uh, Omar bin Sumayt was a, a merchant. You know, they made money. They went bankrupt. They had to change, you know, where they lived because they they needed to start over again you know Sayyid Omar Abdullah was a was a was a teacher you know a school teacher they they all worked they weren't sitting you know on some throne with you know people paying their way everywhere you know this is so you you know you you see how these people were and mm. you you can also see the similarities I mean Sheikh Saleh for example I mean he lived in a closet in Azhar Mosque he lived in literally a closet, but two by three, uh, uh, in in one of the arcades of of, of uh, Azhar Mosque. His entire life, you know, that's where he lived. He had nothing, you know, and and he left basically nothing: some shoes, some shawls. Because I mean, you go to his uh, shrine. Yes. Up the street, there's a little room. Little room. Possessions. Exactly. That's, and I remember going and sitting, you know, sitting in one of his majalis, and he would just sit there presiding over everyone, feeding. He always fed people. They're all the same. All these people, they're, they're different. They're completely different, and they're the same. And they recognize one another. 
they recognize one another. This is the, the amazing things that they just immediately know because, you know, that they're in the, in the right, you know, with their brethren, with their, and they, and they, you know, they, 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 they support one another there, there, you know, it's, it's a, it's a whole, it's very beautiful mm-hmm. to be around people like that. And they still exist. And this is very important for people to know, because if we don't have these exemplars, if we don't have these role models, how are we going to find, how are we going to, you know, get, how are we going to figure out how we should be or what we should aim for? And the other thing is if people really are serious about a spiritual path, they have to have, a living guide, you know. I mean, if you if you want to learn a craft, it, you're you're. It's really difficult to try to do it alone. You know, you you make all you get into bad habits and not know, know what to do, and you try to make it up as you go along, or you read a pamphlet or a book or something. It's 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 the same thing. These are people who can take you on the path that there are. People who are dodgy, of course. So you have to be. And I went to um, Sifudul al Hawari, who was the Khalifa Sheikh Muhammad Habib. And I asked him, I said, How do you find a Sheikh? And he said, It's impossible. And I don't, I didn't agree, I don't agree with that. But that's in his, from his perspective, it was very difficult. He said, So make the Sharia your Sheikh. Mm. And he's right. That's very good advice. Because if you have the Sharia, then you won't be fooled if you really understand the Sharia. The problem is that people nowadays, you know, they go to university, they, you know, they, they, they live a modern life, but they know nothing about the Sharia other than, you know, you pray and you, whatever they picked up from their parents. And then suddenly they want to have instant nirvana or instant... Like they're highly educated on one in, on one hand, but then completely almost illiterate on, on another hand when it comes totally, to religion. Yeah, totally. I mean, and you have to understand that you don't know what you're doing, and but also also trust your in, trust your intuition. People don't trust their intuition. You know, if you um, you know, there's a there's a, an interesting book by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink. Yeah, and it's about. It's 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 about this idea of trusting your first impression or your intuition, and you know we learn you you can because I've done this I've made the mistake of not of not listening to my instinct, mm-hmm. and then you find oh whoops <laughs> that was a mistake, <clears throat> but people need to trust themselves because they have within them the light of Allah. You know, unless they're so, you know, kind of uh, de- de- debauched or de- degraded somehow that their their heart's completely covered. Mm-hmm. And particularly when you have the intention of learning, of, of following a path, if you're sincere, inshallah, you'll find something. Um, but you know, people get they get lost in the in, in the in the the, co- the costume and the. The, this, the, the externalities of the thing, that someone wears a big turban or they look romantic or mm-hmm. something. I mean, uh, Abladim, uh, Peter Sanders showed me this website, which is like really slick, you know, like really, really well done. You know, it's like a, some kind of a Sufi website. <laughs> and I said, that's not a good sign. 
that's a bad sign, you know. And I looked at it and I went, whoa, you know. He's not, he's, it's, he doesn't look like a derwish. It, it, no, it's it's a bit it's too slick, you know. I mean, <laughs> we're not we're not slick. It's not about that. It's not about public relations and doing everything right. Not that it it should be lousy either, but that's not what it's about. And and we're living in a. We have to understand that we're coming out of a very superficial externalized environment and mm -hmm. people have also to get to an inward condition where you can actually follow a, a path you have to strip away uh, a lot of these sort of layers of of um uh of conditioning and 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 movies and and emotions and things that we you know that we're, we're inundated with imagery and with with ideas and things, and we're not even aware of it anymore. I mean, mm. it's, it's you know, it's 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 really things have changed a lot. I mean, when I was young, I'm old enough now to remember when television was introduced, right, the first time, and you, we we used to watch the test pattern because the television would be, you know, like four or five hours a day. And then yeah. the rest of the time, there'd be a, a test pattern, you know. And, yeah, and the colors, the color scheme. Or a color scheme or whatever. Yeah. Well, this is before color. Oh, so yeah. Okay, yeah. Color. And, you know, people didn't, you know, they had the radio. They went to a movie maybe once a month, something like that. Now people have Netflix, Amazon, uh, Prime, uh, HBO, and uh, Hulu, and... Yeah. and everything else you know that yeah. it's crazy people are inundated with these things and it's you you have to you have to strip away a lot of this you have to you it's have to dangerous i'll tell you why you know now because of covid all of the kids are online schooling the other day my daughter she uses a headset i think that the battery died or something so i was like okay well let's see how we can replace it and i could see her frustration you know that she wanted it replaced like instantaneously right I was like, you know, but life doesn't work like that. I mean, we can wait two days. You know, the earth is not going to, life will not end. But the right. problem is now we're, we're, it's like the elevator. You, you want to push the button and then the door has to open. You want to, you know, buy that thing on Amazon and it has to appear. You know, we've purchased things in the morning and have them appear in the evening. And that's very dangerous, I think. <laughs> well, it's part of a, of, of an, a whole picture. And uh, what's happened now also in, in the West particularly, but also I think probably in the Muslim world as well, to a certain extent, is that people feel highly pressurized from this and, and yeah. insecure. And so then you have the, um, the you know, this, the, what's happened with the opioid crisis or, or, and people using uh, amphetamines and things to keep going. I mean, this is, this is something it's fairly new and it's become very dangerous. People are, 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 and young people, and you have, you know, a higher incidence among Muslims of suicide, of, of depression, of this feeling of loneliness. I, I talked to a psychiatrist uh, at one, you know, not too long ago. And I said, well, what's among Muslims, the, 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 the Muslims that you treat, what's the most common trouble or problem and uh, she said deep deep loneliness wow and i thought about this and i thought that's very strange so i asked a number of my contemporary my friends my old guys friend circle 
And I, I you know, I said, you know, do you, did you ever feel lonely when you were young? No. And I, I asked everybody, and it's like, no, not really. I never felt lonely, ever. You know, I mean, I'd, I would feel insecure. I'd feel upset about something, but I never felt lonely. Mm. And this is something very new. People feel very isolated. So I asked this, she was not a psychiatrist, she was a psychologist. I asked her, you know, why do you think that is? She said, it's because of the internet, because of social media, because people have this life without substance. There's no content. There's no substance. There's, you're not really interacting with anyone. I mean, like, we're seeing each other. We are talking together because we know each other. But if you don't know somebody and you're just going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and emojiing and all this kind of stuff, this is not you, – you can't get anything out of it. This is empty. It's, yeah. a, it's an empty thing, and it's all based on hope and – so people end up extremely isolated from one another and uh, and feeling is isolated i mean this pandemic for example i i i i think it it's a gift it should be a gift for particularly for muslims because we're not supposed to be socializing on that level in other words you know what's happened in the west is that people are addicted to uh, mass social gatherings, you know, sports events, uh, m movies, concerts, uh, concerts, concerts uh, rallies, you know, whatever it is, these going to the, going to bars and clubs and, and everything, you know, people, uh, I would say a hundred years ago, apart from, you know, a certain kind of, you know, urban, you know, person, people didn't do these things very much. It, it certainly wasn't something people you did every day. Now you have people going out every day, every day. They have you probably go out once a week, church on Sunday, or you That's know, right. on a religious yeah. service. And other than that, you're with your family. Yeah, or you know, and uh, two or three times a year there'd be a festival or something, or a, you know, people didn't do this, and now everyone's addicted, so they're going, they're climbing the walls because they. Be, and it's because they have no inner life. You're stuck with four walls driving you crazy. For you know, for me and and my contemporaries, we're we're delighted. Of course, we're old people, so we we don't have to go out anymore. You know, and you know, hustle around. But still, it's it's it, it means people have no reservoir inner. You know, inner reservoir. This is an opportunity for young people to go to 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 go inward if they can. But if you do that, you need, you need some help. You need some guidance because you can also make yourself crazy doing that kind of thing as well. Well, Sidi, I really hope that you, you get these projects out. And if there's anything I can do to help, please let me know because I, this is all, uh, you know, many rays of, of light and hope. And, and, and I think that we, our community really, really needs that. Inshallah, well, I'm still alive when this thing is. I'll give you a long, uh, healthy life and, uh, and and much happiness, and you know, just keep keep churning them out because I just you know, even when I was preparing for this conversation, looking at your books again, I mean, I love your writing. I, you know, these stories are very captivating, and I know that these books are like three percent of all the stories that you have because I know I've heard much, much more from you over the years. Really? 
I, yeah. I thought it was like uh, the whole thing, you know. I, I don't. No, no, no. I mean, I've heard some pretty wacky stuff from you. Maybe you don't want to talk about the wacky stuff, but I mean, I love, even before we were recording, this, the story about being in Dumyat and stuff. I mean, you know, there's, you have, you're a reservoir of, of stories and, and anecdotes. And, and I, I love that about you. And, and uh, you know, you have the gift, alhamdulillah, of writing and communication. So I, I really lo always look forward to what's coming next. Yeah, well, I have to be able to do something well. I, I don't, you know, don't have that many skills. So, you know, I, I do my, I do the best that I can. Alhamdulillah. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, I don't, I know it's getting late where you are, and I, I'm sorry that we had to start a little bit late today. Uh, I hope that uh, maybe we can have a follow up at some point uh, sure. when some of the projects manifest. And then maybe we can get into some of some of the more wacky stuff. I didn't want to bring out of respect for you. I didn't want to bring those up. But maybe next time I can pre-clear some of the questions. You'll have, to, you'll have to you'll have to brief me on what you think is wacky. Okay, inshallah. Yeah. In, offline we can do that, inshallah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm uh, anything that's funny that's appropriate. You know, <laughs> yeah. Alhamdulillah. Well, thank you. Is there anything you'd like to close with? Uh, a thought, quote, story? No, I mean, the only thing I would say is to, to whoever your audiences are, I'm assuming they're, they're young, young people, is that you, you always remember that Allah is the, is, is the most merciful of the merciful, that mm. Allah's merciful, mercy precedes his, his anger or his wrath. And never think that you're, you know, if you feel troubled or if you've done something wrong, there's always another, there's, you, you have another chance as long as you're living. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just, just uh, find a way toward Allah, because this is seriously, for Muslims, if you, if you go back to your, your deen, uh, you will, everything is in there. I mean, seriously, everything. I'm, uh, and if you do this, you will relax, relax, you, you relax yourself, and and make life easy for yourself. If you if you turn away from from all these troubles in the world and so on, and also finally remember that Allah is the provider. Allah is the provider. And this is the first step on, on a spiritual journey is to realize that, that Allah is the one who provides for you. So stop being anxious about your provision. You know, this is one of the sources of, of, the, of, of great uh, trouble and anxiety and, and, and satanic, mm. you know, uh, insinuations and things that, that trouble the heart and break up marriages and everything is this worry about provision and you will have exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to have and me too. We, we, and if, if, you, if, you, if you relax and step back, everything will work out, inshallah. Trust, trust Allah for, for that. I, I, mean, I, love, I love that. Very beautiful, beautiful advice. Beautiful yeah. advice. Inshallah. That's a good, a good place to, 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 to end for, for today, Sidi. Thank okay. you so much for your time. Well, thank you for honoring me with the, the uh, invitation. We'll talk soon, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. One more thing before you tune out. To help me stay focused and manage all the things I'm doing, I put together a weekly email called Friday Ruminations that highlights what I'm reading, 
working on and thinking in four focus areas. Happiness, entrepreneurship, books, and Islam. If you'd like to receive these emails, which are 100% free, please go to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday to sign up. (laughs) 